Welcome to the Voo Church Podcast. Today, we're diving into part four of our collection of talks, Living Together, the realities of relationship. In this message, Pastor Rich shares on a topic that affects all of us at one point or another, repairing relationships. Whether it's a conflict with a family member, friend, coworker, or spouse, repairing a broken relationship can be a difficult and emotional process. The good news, God has given us tools through repentance and forgiveness to move towards health and stability. To discover collection resources, visit vuchurch.com slash together. Now let's lean into the message. All right, tonight we are in part four of a collection of talks entitled Living Together. We have been talking about the realities of relationships. And the last three weeks I've been preaching with Don Cherie. Um, Today I'm just preaching solo. We are gonna do two more weeks and we'll be coming back together. Uh, But today I wanna look at 2 Samuel chapter six. 2 Samuel chapter six, verse 16. This is an Old Testament story that I promise you I'm gonna do my best to put it into context. Uh, This is the story of King David. He's the king of Israel, and he's coming in to Israel after a great victory over the Philistine army. And with it, he's bringing in the Ark of the Covenant. It's being returned to its rightful people. And he is excited in celebration, but you'll see his wife, Michael, is watching the scene, and uh, I think it'll make sense. Let's read it together. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 16. As the Ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house. And uh, tonight, I wanna take this, this text, I'm gonna put it into context, but I wanna preach part four today on the subject, repairing relationships. Repairing relationships. Uh, We've been covering some ground uh, the last three weeks, talked about the motivation of marriage, that marriage is a mystery. It is quite uh, a profound miracle. Uh, We talked about picking a partner, because if you want to live with someone, you better choose wisely. Um, Last week, we talked about the path to divorce, that many times there's a pattern to divorce. Um, But tonight, I want to really lean into this idea of repairing relationships, because you need to know that if you're ever going to have a happy marriage, you cannot have a fantasy. You need to confront reality. And the reality is, is that it is inevitable that you will let each other down. It is absolutely impossible to begin to believe that you won't ever hurt each other's feelings. No, the truth is, is that lines will be crossed. Feelings will be hurt. There will be lots of opportunity for offense. There will be lots of opportunity for your patience to be tested. Love is always challenged. The question is, what do we do in those moments that we have been hurt? Do we address it? Do we confront it? Or do we let it fester, grow, and destroy us from the inside out? I love what the great hip-hop philosopher Kendrick Lamar said. (laughs) We hurt people that love us 
and love people that hurt us. How many of y'all know truth is truth? I don't care where the source came from. That's true. That many times it's the people that we love the most that have the ability to hurt us the worst. And I want to try to help practically tonight. Um, when I first got married, I've been married now 16 years, same woman. You got, you got to qualify that. Same woman. Um, 21 years with the same girl, yo. And um, when, I, when I first got married, like, I don't know, I, I brought a rowboat up here because I kind of thought like when I got married, like in the beginning, that it was like, oh my God, the love boat. And... Um, <laughs> I just, I just, it's the relationship rowboat, okay? I was just like, this is amazing. Remember that movie, The Notebook? Anyone ever see that? Remember that great scene after they're like on the water rowing and they're crying, it's like raining, and she's like, why didn't you ever write me? <laughs> He's like, I wrote you every day for a year. It's Dakota Duron. And um, <laughs> I remember like watching that film and so many of us, some of you even here, like, you're like, that's the kind of love I want. I want that notebook kind of love. The problem is that notebook kind of love is this idea of just some type of dream. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like the relationship rowboat. Like, remember that little song? Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 merrily. Life is but a dream. But some of y'all, like, what started as a dream in a relationship has turned into a nightmare of a relationship. Some of y'all, you could testify that sometimes the people that are the nicest that we meet become the toughest that we know. That relationships have these ways of bringing the worst out of us sometimes. There's no pain quite like relationship pain. And I think sometimes we get into these relationships and we just believe that we should never have friction, there should never be a disagreement, that there should never ever be a problem, that life should be but a dream. I'm gonna tell you right now, life is not always a dream. I'm gonna tell you that the love boat, the relationship rowboat, sometimes the rowboat gets a hole in it. Sometimes the rain falls really hard. Sometimes there's storms that you were not expecting. It's never a question of if you will face a storm in your relationship. The question is simply, when will you face a storm in your relationship? I think many of us, we just want to kind of flow into this dream relationship. But yo, if you want to flow, you got to learn to row. You got to learn to row. Not hard to fall in love. Hard to stay in love. Any married people in the house, you can just testify. It's hard to stay in love. I got I to gotta row. I got to work at this thing. I got to fight in this relationship. Staying in love requires repairs along the way. And maybe you're here tonight or maybe you're watching online and your relationship rowboat is just taking on water and the last three years all you have been doing is bailing water. I'm hoping that tonight we can do more than just bail water. I'm hoping that you can learn how to repair, reconcile, restore, that you might walk into the dream that you so desperately desire. Now, maybe you're here and you're like, yo, dude, I'm not married. Why are you always talking to married people, bro? In fact, I don't want to get married. I, I read your book, Single and Secure, and that's who I am forever, you know? Like, okay, I hear you. But understand that God's word does not return void. God's word is good in all seasons. 
And so while I might be using the lens of a marriage or a romantic relationship, please understand that we need to learn how to reconcile in all types of relationships. We need to repair in all relationships. Anyone ever have this experience? This has happened to me a couple times in my life where um, I got a, uh, I had a cough drop. Someone gave me a cough drop. I'm a big Halls cough drop guy. You get the cough drop and uh, you don't need the cough drop. So you put the cough drop in your pocket. You forget, you put the cough drop in your pocket and then you, you, you put your pants in the wash and then they go to the dryer. You forget all about the cough drop until one day, I don't know, months later, you're out hanging out and uh, uh, a cough comes upon you because the devil is a liar. <laughs> and all of a sudden as the cough comes, you're like, man, Lord, I really could use a cough drop only to discover, wow, you got the golden ticket in your pocket. Wow, God is good. All the time in your pocket is the cough drop. Let me just tell you, there are some words that you might not need in that exact moment, but like an old cough drop in your jeans, that's how God's word operates in your life. I would take this word tonight, maybe all of your relationships are perfect right now, but there will come a moment that there's a rift, there will come a moment when you face a storm and you need to reach deep down to that pocket and remember that God has spoken to you and given you tools to repair the relationship. So I wanna do this tonight by looking at an Old Testament story. I, I sat in a class uh, in December and heard a professor from North Central University teach on the relationship of David and Michael and just gave some insight that I had never ever truly considered and I think it lays a great foundation. Tonight's a bit of a Bible study but I, I believe it's gonna encourage you. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 18 is where I wanna go back and so hold your place at 2 Samuel chapter six and then if you can go backwards to 1 Samuel chapter 18. Because what we're seeing in 2 Samuel chapter 6 is really this very spiritual, significant, in many ways supernatural moment in the life of David. That David has just gone and defeated uh, Israel's greatest enemy, the Philistines. And with it, he has recovered the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant uh, was this golden chest that the manifest presence of God dwelt in. And so it being stolen by the Philistine army in this time period wasn't just demoralizing for the people, it was also dishonoring towards God. And so as they've recovered the ark, the scene that we see in 2 Samuel chapter 6 is the ark is coming back and your boy David, remember David, he's the giant killer, he took down Goliath, he's probably the greatest king Israel ever saw. He is excited to say the least, he's celebrating and he's dancing before the Lord to the point that his clothes are falling off. He's partying, but this party has a purpose, praise God. But all the while, while he's down there celebrating, the scripture says that his wife, Michael, is in the window looking down with contempt. If you've been a part of our collection, you remember last week's message, the path to divorce. There's a pattern, there's a rhythm, there's some predictability to divorce. It goes from criticism to contempt, to defensiveness, to stonewalling, to eventually cheating. When you hear that word cheating, it's not simply a romantic sexual affair. Cheating is anytime we put something above our spouse. Some people, they cheat on their spouse with their kids. They put their kids in front of their spouse. And so here is Michael, and the scripture says she has contempt in her heart. And I actually believe that 2 Samuel 6 is a great illustration if you're wondering, what does contempt look like? I'll tell you what contempt looks like. It looks like when you despise the gift of your spouse with a deep hatred on the inside. His happiest day is her worst day. She's inwardly rooting against him. I know this sounds like awful to say out loud, 
because all of us in here, we always have perfect marriages and perfect relationships. But maybe you've been there before. That just the sight of your spouse being happy puts you in a place of contempt. Or this is, I know it sounds like so dirty to say it out loud, but just when they're upset or frustrated or had a bad day, it almost makes you have a good day. Why? Because contempt has set in. And when you look at the story of 2 Samuel chapter 6, you're going, how on earth did they get to this point? What's wild to consider is this is not how the relationship started. And that's where we're going to go back now to 1 Samuel chapter 18, because I just want to show you their love story. This is 1 Samuel chapter 18, and it says this. It says, now Saul's daughter, Michael, loved David. And they told Saul, and that thing pleased King Saul. I stop at this verse right here because if you're a Bible nerd, it's very interesting, this scripture. This scripture sets it apart from any other scripture in the Bible because this is the only time that we have in all of the Bible of a woman loving a man. And I'm reading it because I just want you to see that Michael, she didn't start out up in the window judging David despising David, she began by loving David. There was a chemistry. She had panned through some dirt and she's like, that man right there, that's the one that I love. And when Saul finds out about this, this pleases Saul. Let's find out why it pleases Saul. Verse 21, Saul thought, let me give her, Michael, to David, that she may be a snare, a trap for him. And that, can we go back? and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Let's just stop for a moment. This is just, you don't need to watch Jerry Springer, just read the Bible. <laughs> because this is real drama, okay? You thought your family was dysfunctional until you read the Bible. So what's going on here? Saul sees that his daughter loves David, and Saul likes this, why? Not for a good reason, for a really bad reason. He wants to use his daughter as a trap to David. Why does he hate David? He hates David because jealousy is in the heart of Saul. Remember, uh, David, he fights Goliath and takes down this giant. And when he does, all of Israel begins to praise David. This is what they sing. Saul is slain his thousands. David is slain his tens of thousands. And the moment Saul heard the people praise David, jealousy set in and hatred followed. Why is that? It's because comparison always kills your contentment. Comparison is the thief of joy. What is the king of Israel doing being jealous of a shepherd boy in Israel? You start comparing, all of a sudden it will rob you of all of the great blessings God is doing in your life and you will put your eyes on your neighbor and you'll start looking at what your neighbor has. Man, I didn't know how unhappy I was until I realized just how happy you are. You loved your Ford Focus until your neighbor got a BMW. You were totally single and secure until your girlfriend got engaged. Oh, we're not, gonna, we're not gonna be real? Okay, okay, cool, 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 cool. You were, fi you were fine with the studio apartment until your brother called and said, yo, bro, we just bought a house. And your joy was robbed. Saul's the king of Israel, but he hates a shepherd boy. So he decides to use his own daughter as a trap. Watch this. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, 
you shall now be my son-in-law. Why does he want him to be the son-in-law? Because he knows if he becomes his son-in-law, he's the heir of Israel, and then the Philistine army will go and do Saul's dirty work, kill David. And Saul commanded his servants, speak to David in private and say, behold, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now then become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke those words in the ears of David. And David said, watch this. Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law since I'm a poor man and have no reputation? I just want to stop. There's no part about David marrying Michael that seems like he's posturing or positioning himself for political gain. He's like, why would you choose me? I'm just, you think this is a, small, this is a big thing to be the son-in-law of the king? I'm just a poor shepherd boy. And the servants of Saul told him, thus and so did David speak. I, I want to stop because what I want you to notice is that, yes, Michael loves David, but I would begin to believe, not because it's clear in the scripture, but because we have to interpret the scripture, that David also loves Michael. Yeah. When you look at David's early years, David is a picture of contentment. Remember, he's the one who penned Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not, I shall not. That is a contentment statement. I might not have everything that I want, but I got everything that I need. David never tried to be king. David never went looking for a fight. My man was a harp player looking after sheep for his dad. In fact, his dad didn't even think he was qualified to stand before the prophet. But all of a sudden when the prophet got there and he saw all seven of Jesse's sons, God spoke to the prophet, ain't none of those boys the next king. There's one more out there. Can I encourage some people? Everyone around you might miss out on your gifting and your talent, but there is one who sees what you do in hiding. Be content with where you are. David is not trying to be political. He's not trying to be the king. I think he actually loves Michael. How do I know? Let's look at this next passage. This is verse 25. Then Saul said, thus shall you say to David, the king desires no bride price. What's a bride price? Um, this is some Old Testament archaic stuff. However, as a girl dad, I'm not against it. Um, <laughs> if Waylon says yes, all right, that's good. What, what, you willing, what you willing to pay to this family? Um, that's what a bride price was, is that you had to give something to pay for the bride. Saul goes, there, there, there's no bride price except, and when we say except, now it gets weird. Except 104 skins of the Philistines. If you don't know what that is, ask your mom, okay? Um, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. My God in heaven. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time had expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter Michael for a wife. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David, so Saul was David's enemy continually. Continually at odds with David. 
Now, I read this portion of scripture because I just want you to see this. Many times here at Voo Church, uh, we challenge and we say, yo, man, yo, pursue that woman of God. I think David takes it to a whole nother level. He don't just pursue Michael. My man is willing to fight for Michael. He's willing to sacrifice for Michael. Saul says, get me 100 foreskins of the Philistines. David's like, I'll do that even, I'm gonna get you 200. I'm so generous, I'm going above and beyond. You about to, you ain't ever seen someone like me before. In many ways, this is an act of love. I don't even understand how you present 200 foreskins. But your boy David figured out he's a problem solver. Say, Rich, why are you saying this? I'm saying this because what you're witnessing right before your eyes is a Romeo and Juliet story. Two young lovers falling in love. A father who does not approve. A father who's against them. In fact, you'll read on in the stories and Saul hates David so much even after he becomes his son-in-law that he conspires to kill him. Guess who helps David? Michael. She helps him sneak away and even deceives her father in order to protect her husband. When you read 1 Samuel 18, you're going, what on earth has happened from 1 Samuel 18 to 2 Samuel chapter 6? What, what's taking place? What did they go through? And we don't know all of what they've gone through, but there are a few assumptions that we can make. Uh, the first thing that I believe that takes place in their relationship is they go through this season of separation. As David leaves the palace, he's forced away from Michael. And when I say separation, he's gone for seven and a half years. And during that separation, I'm not sure, maybe he, like the notebook, did write, and maybe there was an evil mother-in-law that's like, no, but we have no indication of him ever writing, calling for Michael. Seven and a half years goes by. Separation and distance. Man, it can begin to destroy a relationship. And I don't know what was in their mind. Maybe they said, man, our history is so strong and such a foundation of the past. We had such a beautiful love story. Maybe that will carry us through. But I want to encourage some people in this room. The past is not enough to carry you into your future. If you want a healthy marriage, if you want a healthy relationship, you have to invest more into the future than you did into the past. You have to let your heart be given over time and time again. The fire might have been lit, but you have to fan the flame. They're separated. They're separated and the distance, well the distance, I'm sure it doesn't make anything easier because they also have to face so much external pressure. And external pressure, like, it's not just that David's away from Michael, it's that he is now living in caves. His very own father-in-law is trying to kill him. Now, I've done some counseling before, and I've seen some real problems, but I've yet to talk to a couple where the dude is like, yo, bro, her dad is physically trying to kill me. That's challenging. Saul, for seven and a half years, is trying to kill David. But not only that, David is becoming a leader of an entire new kingdom. The scripture says that he's hiding out in the caves of Adullam, and 200 plus men, outlaws, come and they make David their leader. The scripture describes these men as in debt, distressed, and discontented. These are the three D's that you never want to start anything with. 
Let's start a church. All right, bring me your, those that are in debt. Get me everybody who's distressed. And please find me some discontented people. Let's start a business. Let's start a family. This is not who you want to start with. David's got some pressure going on, and with it, his focus and attention begins to shift. But it's not just the separation, it's not just the external pressure. I, I got to bring it to your attention. It's just some Bible study. There's additional relationships that are formed. In this time period, David marries different women. Hello. Saul hates David so much that he declares that David is dead to him and he forces Michael to marry another man. Now, there's not a perfect application for you and I, but I had to find somewhere in this collection to bring this up because this is so very important. We live in a culture right now that would say, oh, wow, your love boat is taking on water. Oh, wow, you guys are in a storm. Oh, wow, you're facing obstacles and challenges. Let me tell you what you need. You need to spice things up. In order to have a better marriage, you should add something to it. And I just want to preach as boldly as I possibly can because in 2023, there are lies coming at all of us that if I add some partners, if I add some pornography, if we begin to add some spice that's outside of God's word, that somehow that will bring back the momentum. Can I tell you that when you add other people into your marriage bed, all it ever does is subtract from your intimacy. It will never build trust. It will never repair. Oh, Rich, you got that old school thinking. Both of us are cool with it. No, you're not. One of you is allowing the other out of love to hurt them because they want to please you. Additional relationships destroys a marriage. It's kind of fascinating, right? Because separation, external pressure, and additional relationships make for some rough seas. That's a rough sea to try to row through. That's some turbulent water to try to row through. And so all of a sudden, when you look at this journey that they've gone through, it starts to put into context how on earth did we get to 2 Samuel chapter 6. It's not just Michael up in the window with contempt. Some things have transpired. So here comes David. David's having the best day ever. He's celebrating. It's supernatural. The ark is back. And he's dancing unto the Lord. And Michael looks down with contempt in her heart. Let's pick it up in verse 20. 2 Samuel chapter 6, back to our original text. And David returned to bless his household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. This woman is mad. I watch David. He doesn't look for a repair attempt. Last week we talked about repair attempts, touching the nose, baseball. No, 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 no. He's got his gloves up and he begins to box back. And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your dad and above all his house, not just your dad, your brother, Jonathan, all your siblings. God chose me, not them. This is what he's saying is what? To appoint me as prince 
over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. If I said this to my wife, Don Cherie, you would never hear from your boy ever again. She would cut me and kill me. You don't need Jerry Springer. Read the Bible. What's what's going on here? This is not a story about dancing. This is a story about pain, hurt, trauma, distrust. This is what happens in relationships. They can start so beautifully, but end so tragically. David is having this great moment where he's publicly celebrating. It's a great win for Israel. But I have learned over and over again, and now I'm talking to all the Christian couples. I know we have a lot of people watching right now from different walks of life, but I am preaching to Christian marriages tonight. Listen to me. You can be winning publicly, but losing privately. Dear God. What good is it to win publicly but lose privately? See, I think sometimes in church what we don't realize is that calling has weight. Calling has order. Calling has priorities. You've got a lot of different callings, but you better know the order of your calling. My first calling is I'm a son of God. Jesus comes first in my life. Guess what my second calling is? I made a covenant under God to love my wife. Listen to me loud and clear. I wanna make sure I go on public saying this so you can hold me accountable to it. Guess what? You're my accountability partner. Get ready. I am not going to love Jesus' bride better than I love my own bride. What are you saying, Rich? I'm saying the church is the bride of Christ. But what good is it for you to walk out and say, man, Rich is such a man of God. Wow, he really hears from the Lord. What What a powerful sermon today. But for me to go home and be despised by my wife for me to treat my wife with contempt, for me not to take care of her. No, 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 friends. My first calling is to Jesus. My second calling is to Don Sharif. We made vows till death do us part, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health. I think if I got sick, I I believe some of y'all come and visit me in the hospital. Thank you for that. But ain't nobody sitting there with me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You better know that's going to be Don Cherie. Tomorrow, all of a sudden, something could happen where the media all of a sudden makes me unpopular, cancels me. And you might say, Pastor Rich, bless your heart. We're praying for you. But there is a girl who said, I will walk through every valley with you. I'm walking through this thing. So hear me. I love you. But I love her. <laughs> and it's not just Don Shree. Then, then, then me and her decide to collaborate with God and we form these kids. And they're miracles. They don't always seem that way, but they're miracles. <laughs> but, but, but see the order? See the order? Yeah. I'm not going to put Don Shree in front of Jesus. And I'm not going to put my kids in front of Don Shree. Yeah. And I'm not going to put this church. Yeah. In front of my kids, there's an order, there's a priority. I don't want to win publicly, 
but lose privately. David has got this big win, but he's going home, and his home is a wreck. His wife is hurt. There's pain. There's silence. There's contempt. We don't know how it all formed, but we know it's there. They're throwing daggers at each other. And just look how the scripture ends. This is 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 23. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. What it tells me is that they never reconciled. They never repaired the love boat. They never left a legacy. They, they left unreconciled. They left hurting. They left broken. If it could happen to King David, the man after God's own heart, it could happen to any of us. I've been saying over and over throughout this collection, and I just want to keep doubling down on it, is that marriage is, is a profound mystery. And I don't know if it's God's favorite, but it's one of his favorites. It's one of God's favorite illustrations for him to showcase his love for a broken humanity. Marriage is a picture of the gospel. And so in knowing that, you must understand that the devil hates your marriage. Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. Guess what the devil came to do? To steal, kill, and destroy. You're like, why is it so hard to be married? Uh, because the devil hates you and hates it even more now because you're a walking, talking, visual aid to a lost and dying world of the hope of Jesus. He's trying to make that thing look bad. So you're being attacked. The moment you make that covenant, the moment you get married, I'm telling you what, it's new storms, it's new obstacles, it's new opposition. Not a question of if, it's a question of when. Isn't it amazing? Go back to the book of Genesis. The devil doesn't even show up until the wedding. We don't see him with Adam, when Adam's out there naming animals. The snake slithers in once Eve shows up on the scene. See, the wedding's not the hard part. The falling in love is not the hard part. It's after the wedding that comes the war. That the devil, he comes and he lies to you because he has a plan to destroy you. And one of his most famous tactics when it comes to your marriage, please hear me, some of you single going, I don't think I need this. It's a cough drop, put it in the pocket. One of his favorite ways to destroy you is he will lie to you and make you believe that your spouse is the enemy. Isn't that what he does? He perverts things, right? Meaning your greatest gift, your greatest ally, if I can use a business term, your greatest asset, he gets you to resent, to be hurt by, to be bitter towards, to leave a life of unforgiveness that creates separation. And before you know it, the thing that was a gift becomes your biggest burden. He lies to us. And this is his tactic. Marriage is not completion, it's, it's new creation. And we were made to collaborate. What I see happen in so many marriages is that they somehow stop collaboration and they move to competition. And nobody wins when you compete with your spouse. Can I say it this way? You don't look good at when you make your spouse look bad. Like that doesn't help anyone. How do I know if I'm competing? You know you're competing when you're keeping score. Where were you? What do you mean where was I? I was at work fighting for this family. Where were you? 
I'll tell you where I was. I was taking care of these God-forsaken kids. <laughs> it's competition, 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 competition. And competition always leads to the annihilation of a relationship. Well, Rich, we just fell out of love. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You don't just fall out of love. You can fall out of your car <laughs> if you open the door. You got to open up a door. <laughs> and we fall out of love. This is, this is the whole sermon. It's like a long introduction to get to this practical truth. And some of you are going, that's not very deep. But it's so, so true. You want to know the equation to a healthy relationship? Here's a healthy relationship. It's repentance plus forgiveness. Repentance plus forgiveness. Newsflash. To live on the earth is to sin and be sinned against. They're making my job hard tonight. <laughs> that's, what, that's what life is. That's what it means to be human. To sin and be sinned against. That you're going to sin and people are going to sin against you. That you're going to be a victim and you're going to be a villain. No one escapes that. that. That's life. And when it comes to a marriage, there's more opportunity in that space due to proximity, due to intimacy, due to the closeness that God has brought you together for sin to happen to one another and for sin to happen to us. I've sinned against Don Shree and she's sinned against me. And the only way that we move forward is through repentance and forgiveness. That's it. That's it, that's it, that's it, that's it. Rich man, I wanna, I wanna flow, I want that, I want that gentle stream, that dream, man. Okay, cool, 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 cool. You gotta get in the love boat, I get it. I'm, I'm all for a good analogy. You gotta get in the love boat, but if you wanna flow into the dream, if you wanna flow, you gotta row. How many y'all know when it comes to rowing in this boat, it requires two oars. And the two oars of a healthy relationship are repentance and forgiveness. In all seasons, in all times, repentance and forgiveness. I can't just row with one oar, I have to have both oars. Now I know these relationship talks because I've been doing them for like 15 years now. And I know how people receive information. We have this thing called selective hearing. So right now you're picking out the one that your partner or your spouse is not good at. You're like, I really hope he hears this. I really hope after this message, he repents to me. And there's somebody who's like, man, I can't wait. This girl, she, she, better, she better be listening to pastor tonight. She won't listen to me. She better forgive. But healthy relationships are not about focusing on someone else. Healthy relationships come when we focus on ourselves. This isn't for your spouse. This is for you. You have to repent. You have to forgive. And um, I was thinking about it because this ore of repentance, you know, when you get out into the rough seas of relationships, separation, external pressure, additional relationships, those rough seas, I'm going to need some ores. I can't just have one. I need both. I need both. And the ore of repentance is practical as I possibly can be tonight. I just want to give you an acronym of like what it looks like to repent practically. 
Because if you're going to repent, if you're going to apologize, if you're going to repair the boat, if you're going to mend it, I'm telling you, all along the journey, it's not like it's a one-time thing. This is going to be an ongoing, healthy relationship, repentance and forgiveness. And, and to repent, I think you have to start with this, this, the O, which is own. You have to own your sin. You have to own your mistake. You have to own your shortcoming. You can't blame. You can't point the finger at someone else. You have to own it. But the A is you have to apologize. Truly apologize. Here's how you apologize. I'm so sorry for how I made you feel. What can I do to make it right? Wanna hear a bad apology? I'm sorry, but yo, you're dramatic. I'm sorry, but when you do that, you annoy me. I've told you that. That's my voice, not my wife's voice. Um, I'm sorry, but I've told you so many different, that's not an apology. That's not an apology. That's an excuse with saying sorry in front of it. And then the R for or is just you gotta reverse. You don't get to choose how they respond to that, you just get to choose what you do. I have to reverse my behavior. You'll make a million mistakes, don't keep making the same mistake. The whole point of this thing in relationship is that we're to learn, we're to grow. You've got to reverse it, you've got to adjust it, you've got to change it. See, if you only have one oar in your relationship rowboat, you're gonna go in circles. It's not just about repentance, you need another oar, and the other oar is the oar of forgiveness. That you have to realize that once repentance takes place, once people step into that, at different seasons and different moments, we're doing both of these things. I've repented to Don Cherie and I've forgiven Don Cherie. Don Cherie's repented me and she's forgiven. We both are rowing because we want to flow. And when I do not repent or when I do not forgive, what sets in is a seed. The scripture says it's a root of bitterness. Look at what Hebrews chapter 12 says. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Wait a minute, there's something I could do that would stop me and prevent me from getting the grace of God? Yeah, what will prevent you from the grace of God is that you let a root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble and it may become that it, and by it many become defiled. This root of bitterness sets in our life and it begins to defile the things of our life. Bitterness is a really big deal because it's always about where bitterness leads. Leads to resentment and unforgiveness. It traps us. It's a cancer to your soul. If you ever dealt with cancer before, here's the deal with cancer. When you go in for surgery, um, bitterness like cancer, you don't wanna get most of it. You wanna get all of it. I don't want any bitterness inside of me. And so I have to learn to forgive. If you're gonna have a healthy relationship, it's repentance and forgiveness. Well, what's the aura of forgiveness? I'll tell you what it is, is that you have to open up your heart again. 
That sounds so simple, but like that's so difficult. And maybe even tonight, because everyone's got different seasons and stories and circumstances and challenges. And some of you have been wounded and deeply, deeply wounded and hurt and betrayed. And so maybe just the first step is just an openness going, God, if you're real, maybe just maybe you could heal me. Maybe just maybe you could restore me. Maybe you could bring reconciliation. So Lord, I've had my heart closed for a very long time, but I'm opening up my heart. I'm opening up my heart to you. I don't just open my heart, I also acknowledge the pain. This is probably my biggest challenge with church is that sometimes church makes forgiveness sound so easy. Friend, it's not easy, but it is necessary. See, we can't forgive in our own capacity. The only way that we can forgive is through the lens of the cross of Jesus Christ, that I would recognize, wow, I have been forgiven of so much, therefore now through the cross, I'm able to forgive others. This is what it means to be a Christian. Forgiven people forgive. Forgiven people forgive. We forgive, we forgive, we forgive. Some of you know, it's, it's, it's acknowledging, man, I am hurt. Some of you guys in here, like, you've been wounded in a relationship, you've been wounded in your marriage. Maybe you're on the other side of a divorce, but like Instagram would make it look like you got it all together, but man, on the inside, you're wounded. You've got to acknowledge that pain. You have to recognize that for what it is. This happened, this hurts. But as I acknowledge it, I, I, I take that next step, which is to release, to release it. You know, an archeologist is someone who takes a shovel and digs up the past. And sometimes in relationships, we are relationship archeologists. We pull out the shovel, not the ore, pull out the shovel. You always say you're sorry. No, it's, it's the supernatural ability to, to release. And as you release, what you're doing is you're not saying it never happened. You're releasing the captive only to discover you were the prisoner. That the bitterness that was seeping into your heart was clouding all of your vision. Isn't it amazing that all of the gospel is about receiving the forgiveness of Jesus? And we pray, God, I repent. Forgive me of my sin. But then we'll be like, God, but... Show justice on that dude. Bring vengeance on my boyfriend. Because <laughs> we want justice for everybody else, but we want mercy for ourselves. Yeah. Oh, you gotta, you gotta forgive, and it's it's the forget, it's the constant, continual flow of repentance and forgiveness. It's it's just the. It's just the rowing, man. It's just the rowing. I just, it's, it's just, all right, here we go. Life's not always a dream. Sometimes there's nightmares. Sometimes there's big storms. But what we've decided is that we're going to keep on rowing. As we keep on rowing, we keep on flowing. So I don't know what awaits me, but I'm just going to row. Repentance, forgiveness, repentance, forgiveness, repentance, forgiveness. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to own it. I'm going to apologize. I'm going to reverse some stuff. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open up my heart again. I'm going to acknowledge the pain that's taken place. But then I'm going to release. I'm going to release. I'm going to release. And before you know it, you start making progress. Before you know it, you start stepping into the future that you did always dream of. No such thing as a perfect relationship. But we can, through the grace of God, believe that he can restore, that reconciliation is possible, that we can walk this journey of life and find freedom and health and community. I just wanna encourage some people.
Just because you've had a bad day doesn't mean you have to have a bad relationship. You might have been hurt or let down. Repentance and forgiveness. A marriage is a dance. When I first moved to Miami, I moved here, I was 14 years of age. No one told me that at 15, every Spanish girl that I would meet would have this thing called a quince. And this white dude from Tacoma, Washington was not prepared for the quinces. Rich, can you dance? At the quince, yeah, 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 yeah. Your boy freshman year every Monday and Wednesday went to salsa class. Miami Lakes raised me. Hialeah's got a special place in my heart. I will suavemente, I'll, I'll go there. I will go there. Tumba la casa, tumba la casa. Tumba. Like, you don't know, you don't know. And so, Andrew, I, had to, I had to learn all this stuff. And like, I didn't have rhythm then and I still don't have rhythm now. Um, and so I'd be stepping on people's toes and tripping all over the place. But you learn really quickly that when you're dancing, just because I step on toes or trip, you don't stop dancing, you, you, you try again. And I suppose tonight, maybe this sounds like so basic and simple, and I'm not trying to just gloss over. Some of you are in a toxic relationship and you have biblical grounds, we'll talk about it next week, that you need to leave, you need to move on. But others of you in this place, just believe tonight through the grace of God that you try again, that you keep dancing, that yeah, you might have stepped on each other's toes, but repent, forgive, repent, forgive, and watch God repair the relationship. Do you believe that tonight? Can you go ahead and put your hands together all over the screen? Go repair it, go repair it, you can repair it. And I just wanna take us through an exercise tonight. Uh, I'm gonna ask everyone at Somi and everyone right here, and everyone online, just to bow your head for a moment. Maybe you're listening by way of podcast on a Monday. Maybe you're watching by way of YouTube a year from now. And just for a moment, before we step out of here, before we sing, I just want you to close your eyes. And in this room tonight, as you close your eyes, when I start talking about the word forgiveness, who's the first person that jumps to your mind? It might not be your spouse, it might not even be a romantic relationship, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a coworker, but just get that picture in your mind. I know it's uncomfortable, but just for a moment, we're talking about forgiveness. We're not just talking about something random, we're talking about something specific. Tonight, who is it that you need with the grace of God to forgive? Because bitterness in your heart is robbing you from receiving the grace of God. And I'm not trying to gloss over and I'm not trying to move too fast. I'm just asking you tonight. I don't know what part of that or you need. Maybe it's open. Maybe, it's, maybe you haven't acknowledged it. Maybe you've just suppressed it. But I'm wondering tonight, through the power of the Holy Spirit, if you could release and, and forgive. That poison's not killing them, it's killing you. And so now, Lord, I just pray for people all over this room who have unforgiveness. 
Maybe it is in their marriage. Maybe it's the person who cheated on them and they have been divorced and we're not denying the pain and the havoc that that person has caused, but we're asking tonight through the spirit of God that you would give us the ability to let it go. So Holy Spirit, come now, move in people's hearts, minister. May they open, may they acknowledge, and may they release. Now with your eyes closed, let's just go to the other or for a moment. Because the moment I ask you to close your eyes and picture someone, here's, here's what's fascinating is that we could ask this question to someone else and when they close their eyes, the person they saw was you. And we better learn quickly that we're not always the victim. We also are the villain. And so with your eyes closed right now, who is the person that you need to apologize to? Maybe it is your spouse. Maybe this would be the greatest Sunday you ever came to church because you walked out of here and you didn't just get inspired, you actually applied something. Maybe you're afraid to apologize. Maybe you've been hiding something. Maybe you know you've been caught red-handed. I'm telling you what, you're going in circles and so you can decide, when do I wanna step into the light? When do I wanna own my sin? When do I want to apologize and when do I wanna reverse my behavior? Tonight could be the night. And so Lord, I just pray for people all over this room that know they need to apologize. God, I pray that as we leave this place, Lord, that they would quickly, swiftly, Lord, they would move into that space. That Lord, as a church and as a community, God, may we be quick to apologize. Not waiting on the other person, but Lord, we would move quickly to that place. I need to repent. I need a soul shower. I need the shame lifted off of me. I need my sin taken away from me. It only happens when we repent and acknowledge. So Lord, do that in people's lives tonight. Thank you for listening to today's message. At VU, we believe we weren't meant to do life alone. We've been created with a unique purpose and designed to live in relationship with Jesus. If you've never surrendered your life to Him, we wanna create an opportunity for you to do so today. If you wanna say yes to Jesus, would you pray this with me? Dear Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I trust you with my past. I ask that you guide me in my present and I even place my future in your hands. I'm yours, Lord, now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made the decision to follow Jesus today, we wanna partner with you in the next steps of your faith journey. Go to vuchurch.com online. We love you.